What Code Red means to me is normalizing conversations around our peers. Destigmatizing being a girl. Empowering women. Flashing lights. Emergency. Comfort and safety. Education. Hey y'all, Code Red is a podcast that discusses the importance of period products and dismisses the taboo of talking about menstruation. This podcast is brought to you by the Women of the Women's Relief Initiative, an organization working to fight period poverty. My name's Amanda, and my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am the Director of Research and Development. My name is Maraz. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am the Director of Business Development. My name is Khadija. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am the Director of Marketing. My name is Henny, and my pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm the Director of Internal Affairs. So here at Code Red Conversations, we're all about destigmatizing the nature of period talks by having these conversations openly and honestly. Traditionally, periods tend to be considered a hush-hush topic spoken only amongst other women, but we know that not all women have periods and all people who do have periods are not women. Not only that, but periods should be something acknowledged by both people who menstruate and don't menstruate since it affects a huge portion of people's lives around the world. Today's episode will be featuring some of the men of WRI. We want to not only have an open conversation with this topic, but also give them the opportunity to share their perspectives on periods growing up and being shaped by society standards of men. Hi, my name is Ian Karamali. Uh, my pronouns are he, him, his. Uh, I was the legal director and business development director at WRI, uh, and I got involved in WRI uh, because it seemed like a really interesting project and a project with a lot of potential. Um, and I really wanted to work with Mamadou and Henny on uh, this interesting project is pretty much why I got into WRI. Hey everyone, my name is Mamadou Balde and my pronouns are he, him, and his. I'm the one of the founders, uh, one of the co-founders for Women's Relief Initiative. And uh, when this issue was brought to me, I could not stop digging into it and researching. I eventually connected it back to so many dads uh, growing up that I witnessed but didn't actually understood at the moment. And all of that really motivated me that to, to work on it and try to find a solution to help reduce human suffering around the world. Hey everyone, my name is Robbie and my pronouns are he, him, his. And uh, with WRI, I've mostly worked with the hydrophobic layer. And the reason why I wanted to become involved was I really wanted to have the opportunity to understand how to like apply engineering, an engineering skill set to socially relevant problems. Great. And welcome, y'all. Thank you for joining us today. So we first want to start off um, about what you know about periods, sort of how you've learned that throughout the years. I'm not sure if you're uh, asking one of us specifically, but um, I can say that I've probably learned a lot about periods in the last couple of years, and I probably still have a lot to learn. Uh, you know, I think Growing up, uh, I probably did not know that much about uh, periods, and I don't know if it was necessarily a taboo subject or if I just wasn't thinking about it, but I feel like as I've gotten older and I guess a little bit more mature, people in my life who menstruate have been more comfortable telling me, telling me about their experiences, whether that's friends, family, significant others. Um, so I've learned a lot through that, and I've learned a lot through WRI, but I probably still have a lot to learn. Yeah, I grew up in a in an atmosphere where I men were very oblivious about period. I did not know anything about it until maybe the age of uh, 16, 17 in in school. Because growing up, I grew up in Guinea until I was 13, and uh, it was something that men were not supposed to talk about it. And if nobody teaches you something, definitely you you don't know it. So. But now uh, I understand it biologically. It's a very na it's a natural process uh, that people ex have to go through, and uh, the fact that the lack of knowledge surrounding it, and the fact that many people do not understand it, have caused so many dilemmas that has been disabling communities. I would say I still know very little about periods, unfortunately. Um, 
I definitely know now that it's not like this like super like huge like volume and like exiting people's bodies um I think it can yeah, be sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely um I don't know I guess I'd, I'd say I'm still very like still have a lot to learn about that um for the next question I think that Mama, you already answered it a little bit, but when did you first find out about what periods are? And um, yeah, when did you first learn about them? God, I I don't know when I first learned about them, but I I, I think I first, I remember when it first started affecting my life as, as a male. Uh, it would be when my sister wouldn't want to go swimming. Um, and I was just, you know, like, why don't you want to go swimming? Like, you want to go swimming all the time. What, what's stopping you today? You know, uh, and sometimes it'd be an excuse. Like, she wouldn't tell me directly. Like, she was like, oh, I just washed my hair or something like that. And I was like, that's not an excuse. You know, so I think that's kind of when I, I started being, like, suspicious. Um, so, but I mean, you know, gr growing up with a sister, I kind of, was exposed to it a little bit, I think earlier than, you know, some other men are. And my sister is like a pretty close uh, in age to me. So, you know, we were pretty open about talking about things, but even when I knew about it, I was constantly forgetting. Like if I learned about it one month, I would definitely forget about it by the next month, you know, uh, because it wasn't directly affecting my life. And I think, you know, to some degree, uh, men and including myself are still kind of like this where, uh, you know, I know that my significant other menstruates, um, but, you know, sometimes I won't be thinking about it at all. How, um, how much of an age gap is there between you and your sister? Oh, she was only like a year younger than me. Oh, okay. Uh, okay gotcha. Yeah. So gotcha. We're, like she just graduated too. She's like, actually she's a nurse now, you know, so she's telling me a lot more disgusting stuff than I, I signed up for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I managed to not uh, <laughs> to not be taught that in early classes and stuff like that. But I remember vividly the first thing that I've heard about it before I even learned it in the class was uh, from my queen in high school, uh, the person that I was dating and uh, we were just having a conversation and she started telling me about that. And I, I didn't know, uh, I thought it was because of my English. I didn't know what she meant by it. Yeah, it was very uh, sudden in terms of just understanding uh, the, the process and periods. It was a very sudden uh, knowledge acquirement, I would say. I think the first time that I found out was probably just like in a very basic like sixth grade like sex ed class outside of that I really didn't know much like I, in fact I think it was like three weeks ago that I actually learned what a tampon actually looks like so I'm you know learning a lot as I go obviously but um, my sister never really like talked about it and I never really heard much from her so I've surprisingly heard like very little about it I'd say yeah I feel like because it's so stigmatized like a lot of women will try and shield men in their life from having to hear about it because it's just you know we're socialized to you know think that it's gross too in some ways so that's yeah. part of the stigma unfortunately but I was actually gonna ask some of you all brought this up um just as a follow-up but I've always been curious about what y'all's experience about learning about periods in school was. Cause for me, you know, I just remember it being <laughs> separated, just being separated by genders. And then I have no idea what the guys learned. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think I first was exposed to it um, from like kids I was friends with in elementary school. Uh, Cause I just remember there were a couple of girls and like my friend group who were like talking about it. and I was like that just sounds crazy you're you're just making stuff up like <laughs> I remember having like kind of that reaction to when I first like learned about uh menstruation and periods like what they were going through and I'm like there is no way uh, granted I just learned like where babies came from at that point so <laughs> I wasn't just like any authority 
Um, but yeah, I, like sexual education, uh, I think the first time we did it was like in fifth grade. Uh, and they also divided us up into like boys and girls. Uh, and then the only thing we like learned about girls is that they're, they're going through some like puberty process that's just quicker than men. Um, so you'll notice it as a, as a guy, you'll notice changes in girls faster. Uh, you also notice that sometimes their mood or they might be like irritable. Uh, I'm not sure, like, I really don't remember uh, back to fifth grade if they like wow. specifically mentioned like menstruation. I just remembered that they were telling us that, yeah, you're going to lose that puberty race. And I was upset about that. Interesting. That is wild. I would have thought that there'd be like some more mention than that, at least, you know. No, huh. the only thing they need to know of allegedly is that we might be feeling some type of way about our body destroying itself, but the <laughs> details are irrelevant. Yeah, I mean, they were just like, hey, if women are getting annoyed, you know, that's natural. Like, Oh my God, yikes. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is interesting. I feel like I was having this conversation with someone earlier this week about whether or not, well, first of all, obviously, the conversation in school about periods is always just like related to reproductive reproduction and like mm -hmm. it's not really even to girls the way it was taught to us was not like it was very clinical it wasn't very uh helpful in terms of like what we might actually experience or how we might feel about it it was just very or even you know how to use the products how to use menstrual products even or what range there might be in menstrual products. It was very much clinical and like, this is when you can get pregnant, by the way. And that, that was it, I feel like. <laughs> so um, yeah, definitely we need some help, especially in Texas with that kind of thing. But um, I was curious if y'all thought that it would be helpful to have this conversation not segregated that way you know it might be more um it might be less stigmatized and if that's the case you know maybe even having this conversation earlier like when kids are like seven or eight years old and haven't had as much time to be like gender socialized by the world and have like misogynistic ideas implanted in their brains yet um, do you think that would be helpful at all or would that still be kind of uncomfortable for people? I always think the earlier the better. I mean, the more like time that a child has to like get accustomed to like the, like the words and things like that would make it a lot easier when you actually like, like by the time they're actually confronted with it, obviously like, when they're seven, I'd hope they're not like too like, you know, into all of that. But when they are like going through puberty, like it'll be very much like a, a normal process and they won't be, I guess, as shocked. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I, agree. I feel like to solve every issue, you need to talk about it, you need to have conversation. And that's how people know about the issue and people can come together to solve that issue. The fact that the issue of prayer poverty, one of the most important issues around the world is still not solved is because there are some people who felt like it's not their problem. Right. Whenever we realize that global warming is a world problem, everybody, every company now is want to solve global warming, right? And stuff like that. So I feel like when we decide that, when people realize that poverty is a is a problem for everyone, right? Let's say in a community, if all the men and women come to agreement that it's a problem for everyone, I feel like there's gonna be more effort in solving that. Yeah. which is one thing that I feel like WRI is trying to do, create spaces where people feel comfortable to have that conversation. Yeah, definitely agree. With respect to like education, I guess, uh, in terms of like how early, um, like I think my biggest gripe uh, is not that, you know, necessarily separate um, genders. I, I just think that the real issue is that a lot of sexual education is treated like an event um, right, like I, I clearly remember back to like maybe fifth grade and then maybe the next time we were talking about it was like eighth grade and then maybe like I had a uh, like another session in like high school, but it was like literally just like events and pretty much if you ask anybody, or, or, like people in Texas at least, how their sexual education was, they would 
probably be talking about this one time that, you know, somebody was talking about abstinence education or somebody was talking about uh, even like good education in terms of like uh, sexual education uh, with like good advice, but they'll really talk about it in terms of like these singular events. Whereas like, you know, kids going through puberty, uh, teenagers going through puberty, um, or their bodies are changing, it's a continuous process, right? Like there needs to be kind of a continual education where sex or sexual education isn't really treated like an event where you feel like you've given the information to a kid or a teenager or somebody who needs this information once and you expect that they understand it. No other part of our educational system works like that, uh, in my opinion. And going back to Mamadou's point, if you have more people who understand these issues, uh, destigmatize these issues, learn about these issues, then you definitely have a society that's working towards kind of that larger destigmatization, solving larger issues like period poverty and addressing larger systemic issues. Yeah, that makes sense. And then as far as um, being sex dated, I think later on, you know, middle school and high school, when we learned about it, we weren't separated by genders but um do you think that having that early education being not separated by genders would be helpful or harmful in terms of this whole stigmatization the benefit of having that conversation as a whole versus uh not having it because of all the small uh, things that can happen is greater uh that's because if we want ladies to be able to be feel comfortable having that conversation to to be independent in in dealing with that conversation when they grow up it should start at a young age right uh because if you separate them from that young age they're just gonna feel like it's not something that they can't talk to men about right and in order to solve that issue i feel like everybody has to understand the issue and come together I also think, uh, I understand that the biological factors that goes with period is very complex and it's something that you cannot teach to young people, but there are a lot of creative ways you can give lessons to young people that allow them to understand what you need them to understand. One thing that come to mind, uh, actually an idea that a partner shared with, with me not too long ago is uh, skits, right? You can make skits about, uh, period issues or, or just period uh, that people can act out, uh, young, young people can act out in class to just teach valuable lessons about period and stuff like that. I think just having it more ingrained in our media, right? Like cartoons, they're already like in, integrating so many social, you know, like issues in cartoons now that like, you know, I think menstruation should be sort of in there, like nursery rhymes or something like. I 100% agree. Yeah, absolutely. Because like when you were talking about how like, you know, menstruation just hit you out of nowhere, right? Because like it hit me out of nowhere, too. And I had to go through it, you know, like I <laughs> one day woke up and I saw something red in my pants and I was like, what is this? And, you know, I was just hit with having to deal with it, you know? And um, it just, you know, I was thinking about it. We all talk about menstruations and as in sometimes, you know, it comes up as an issue, right? But it's a natural thing and it has to be, I don't know, more openly talked about and integrate into our society. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, honey. Like I, I was about to make the same point. Like I can't point to a single like cartoon, uh, you know, what that I watched as a kid that, you know, they dealt with a lot of like social issues like they dealt with like bullying um you know home life uh and a lot of other like really tough subjects but i can't think of like a sesame street episode maybe there's one now but like when i was a kid that dealt with you know uh issues of menstruation or what women might be going through or girls and like like my class would probably be going through and it, so it just kind of like as a as a guy like i wasn't thinking about it i was smooth sailing right like um, so wouldn't even, uh, pay a second thought to, to what somebody else might be going through until like, maybe it was pointed out to me very directly. 
Yeah. And definitely one of the things I find interesting, and this is just like as an older sister to some very young children, is recently we went to the dentist, right? And so, and they have had this issue with brushing the insides of their teeth. And what I found out was because they were watching these cartoons, children are not taught to brush the insides of their teeth in the cartoons. Like literally in their mind, they will just copy what they see. So yeah, they only brush the fronts, right? And like Arthur, you're just sitting there like with the animation of just doing the fronts of your teeth. Eventually, like I feel to some extent, the lack of it being there does make an impression on a child. And I remember the first time I actually watched a sitcom recently, like, you know, when we were younger, sitcoms are really popular, but a new age one. And for the first time ever, I saw someone like take a period, like a pregnancy test. And then another one, they had an STD test. And I was like, wow, I never saw anyone doing this. They just like walked in the room one day and were like, I'm pregnant. I just, I know, I don't know. Like, it was very interesting how little they show behind like the curtain of real life. But moving forward, so what do you believe is the role of men sort of in the stigmatization of periods? We talk a lot, I feel like, on this podcast of some of the positive experiences we've had with women that have uplifted us, like Khadija's experience, or some of the other ones where we've talked about it being considered a woman's issue um, and necessarily more of a private issue. And I feel like we've heard a lot about men either not knowing or just being sort of out of the loop. So how do you feel kind of like, I guess, as you've grown and learned, like how that plays into it and how we move forward? I think it's, a, it's an issue for, for everyone. Uh, many people do not understand. Many people look at the forefront of the issue and do not understand uh, the things that comes behind that because period poverty leads to very deleterious consequences that hurts communities. I feel like many issues that is happening around the world is a domino effect from period poverty, right? If you, if a, a, a lady who, because of period poverty, right, she could, she had to drop out of class and uh, drop out of school, and eventually she's given to marriage, right, because uh, the parents deem that she may not be good enough to continue school, right? And, and just need to be married. So as a safe outlet, right? The fact that she has not reached her full potential uh, going to school and all of that. And because she has just decided to have, uh, to, to be the woman at the house and, and bear the children, I feel like that is, this, uh, that, that is stopping uh, that family from reaching the full potential in terms of the kind of, uh, the kind of success they can have financially in a way uh, or, or other things, right? And the goal is not for men to come and find the solutions for the issue, right? You, but I feel like it's still integral for them to participate in uh, helping solve uh, the issue by being allies right you are not coming and just saying okay this is what we need to do but you are coming to empower uh help empower the people uh help find the solution to 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 solve the issue yeah that definitely makes sense yeah i think i would i definitely agree with that um when we're asked we're talking about like the role of men in stigmatization of periods I, i mean it's clearly a significant role. We, we could probably talk about the history in a, a whole separate podcast of, you know, why men suck, like Robbie said. Um, I think like more of the current issue uh, is that, you know, as you mature, you, you learn more about periods, even as a man. Uh, but the issue comes from uh, the difference between sympathy and empathy, right? Like, I think like most guys realize that, you know, or, or periods, uh, are presented to men as kind of this like issue that women are dealing with. Um, you know, maybe if maybe some people are taught that it's natural or that there are like biological purposes or that it's good or some other kind of uh, like lens to, to look at it through. But for the most part, you know, men view periods as like this issue that women are going through. Um, and I think to a large part, like people of our generation will definitely sympathize, but I think it's very, uh, not rare, but it, it, it takes a little bit more to empathize. It takes like that next step to be kind of an ally 
uh, like Mamadou was saying, and to say, hey, look, that these are like systemic issues in the status quo, like period poverty, lack of access to period products, uh, period stigmatization, other kinds of sexual orientation stigmatizations, um, and to to be an ally, to to come up with a way that you can, you know, aid uh, in those uh, situations, or even if not in those situations, in your like daily life, your friends, your family, like how do you, you know, try to go the extra mile when somebody is struggling uh, with their own like biological is issues in general, you know. Yeah. So I, I think that that's probably <laughs> in a very personal aspect uh, and it's also probably the reason I joined WRI too because I kind of wanted to take that empathetic approach empathetic approach yeah that's interesting sorry real quick um that's interesting that you say that because I think obviously I think that empathy is important in a lot of things but for a lot of issues I've sort of learned that in some ways, you know, I'll never know what it's like for certain other people and certain other mm -hmm. marginalized groups, you know, what their experience has been like, because I haven't experienced that. And so in some ways, I think when it comes to certain issues, you know, maybe for non-menstruators in this issue of period poverty, in some ways we might need to realize that like you'll never fully be able to empathize. And so the role of someone who doesn't menstruate, their their role is in that support. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's necessarily empathy or what it is, but um, yeah, the I allyship probably, that you were talking about. Clarify that, that yeah. I think of empathy as like a process, not like an event that like right, right, suddenly right. you have this like epiphany and I'm like, oh, these people are dealing with this issue. I am an ally now. Like it's, right, it's right. really never that. It's like, hey, uh, you know, this issue is going on. Uh, is there something I can I can do? Like I can ask myself, I, I'm not in that situation. I'll never be in that situation. I can never under, mm -hmm. fully understand that situation. And I shouldn't do it as as a way for me to, you know, uh, self-aggrandize or, you know, <laughs> yeah. put myself in like a, a position of, oh, I am superior. I also think that like some sympathy sometimes does that, like saying, hey, I'm in this like higher position than you are. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's, I mean, people who menstruate versus non-menstruators, there's not mm -hmm. really like, there, at least there shouldn't be any kind of, uh, you know, stigma or uh, separation between the population, you know? Yeah, no, totally. I I think I also am just generally conflicted on when to use the word empathy, when to use the word sympathy, because mm -hmm. to me, empathy was always taught as like putting yourself in someone else's shoes and being mm -hmm. able to fully, you know, understand what you're trying, at least try to understand what they're going through. Mm -hmm. But in some cases, like, I don't even think that that type of approach leads to the best advocacy because sometimes mm -hmm. you have to realize that you can't do that, you know, like, you oh, won't yeah, be yeah. able to understand. Yeah, but. And your empathy will never be perfect. Like, right, it'll, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it, it depends on, like, the situation. So, yeah, no, I clearly, uh, clearly a, a topic, but I would say, you know, at the very least, when we're talking about men's role in stigmatization, most men are doing the bare minimum, you know, uh, if, if that, yeah. Yeah, and I definitely think the word that comes to mind is a lot of things I've seen on Twitter with um, like actively dismantle like the stigma, like the stigma originates with men. Men need to do the work to undo all of that because I really feel like if women were in charge, the likelihood that periods would be such a hot topic is like not very likely. It's interesting, right? Because even in our work, you know, structures, right? Menstruation is never thought about, you know, as like something that's okay to take a sick, not a sick day, but just like take off, you know, like when you're feeling such ways. And so I think there, there must be like an entire change in like mindset and even like corporations to understand or to like give women 
the space to like go through these like biological processes like menstruation. 100% agree. And I think as, as men, I, I think, it, you know, it's a little bit of our responsibility in like corporate roles to not, or try to, to uh, further that notion uh, and try to, you know, further those causes rather than like fight them or claim some kind of random unfairness of, uh, you know, sick days or uh, any other kind of days. Yeah, I feel like the interesting thing when it comes to biological processes is in a lot of places, it would be considered a chronic condition, and yet nobody takes it with any sort of severity or seriousness as a lot of other people have to do. It's just sort of seen as like, well, <laughs> sucks to be all like, it's just not treated quite as seriously. Yeah. And the stigma prevents a lot of people from number one, knowing if what they're going through is normal or abnormal. Like sometimes the amount of cramps or pain that a menstruator is experiencing is abnormal and they should be getting help. And of course, there's the whole issue with doctors sometimes not taking women's pain seriously, but um, just beyond that, because it's so stigmatized, sometimes people don't even know whether or not to seek out medical attention for something that is beyond the normal threshold of pain that's supposed to happen. And like Robbie was saying, <laughs> that stigma is never going to go away fully until men are willing and non-menstruators are willing to take it on. So, yeah. Yeah. Are, yeah. I mean, I think so we many- there are so many examples. If you, there are so many communities in underserved community where uh, there's only a male doctor in the community. So if a young girl is experiencing that, she will definitely not go see that doctor because she doesn't want to talk to that person about it, right? And one of the biggest dilemma that I've been thinking about lately is why is things like condoms so much popular than than a pad, right? Condom is it's a protection board for decision that people decide to make. But PADS is a solution for natural things that people don't decide. It's something that is natural, right? Why is it so? I, I actually have an answer for it. I mean, not, I think it's ridiculous as well. But um, yeah. in terms of when I was trying to use that argument to bring more PADS and tampons for free on campus at UT, So the argument that is used is that condoms are a public health prevention method because it's like infection prevention, but Mm -hmm. that completely, I think is irrelevant because exactly pads and tampons being available is also a public health concern because people get diseases. Exactly. People get diseases. People get hospitalizations, people die, people lose limbs like from lack of access to products. People have to choose between buying products and buying food. Like it's it's a public health concern in every sense of the word. So that argument enraged me to be quite frank, <laughs> but yeah. you're, you're right public, to bring up that question. It's a public health issue because I feel like everybody is facing that issue together, right? They feel like men and everybody and the fact that the pad is because of the taboo culture that you're talking about, the st- stigmatization, people mm-hmm. still feel like, even in the US where we are developed, right? People still feel like it's a woman issue, not because they say it outside, but it's the mm-hmm. inside of their head, right? Yeah. They are not doing every single thing they can to make it a human issue, but it's a, still a female issue. Right. So I feel like yeah. exactly what you said is that we need to break that stigma. And the best way to do that is definitely through conversation that involves both parties. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I think in addition to that too, it's viewed as like a women's issue too, but at the same time, like non-menstruators, like we're saying, can never perfectly empathize or sympathize. Um, So they're just assumed that, hey, you know, there's at least 3 billion people who are going through this uh, daily. Like why would, you know, this one person's, uh, you know, time of the month suddenly be like that big of a deal, like 3 billion other people are powering through this. And at the same time, like the stigmatization often causes women 
uh, administrators to hide what they're going through uh, in a way that like, you know, men just don't notice or uh, non-menstruators don't notice. Um, so, you know, it's, you know, in the background, not really at the forefront. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, it's easy for us to think that it's just a minor inconvenience that there's a stigma, like all you have to do is, you know, hide your pad when you're going to the bathroom in the workplace or something, but it goes so much farther than that in terms of actually impacting people's health that Mm -hmm. people don't realize, I think. Yeah, I love the argument that it only has to do with women, 50% of the population. Like it's such a dehumanization of women in general to act like that's, oh, it's, it's just a minor concern. I don't know. And then you have all these people getting diagnosed more heavily recently with endometriosis or like PCOS, because as you know, like Robbie said, nobody is telling you how much of like pain or how much even like liquid is supposed to be leaving your body. So when you have bodily fluid, like you're taught that it's gonna be like this big thing. And then it's like, no, it's not normal to bleed for like two and a half weeks at a time. So you have this Mm -hmm. delay even in healthcare. I think a lot of men's reactions are like, kind of like how I reacted as a kid, like it can't be that bad, right? Like I think that if you never learn more about it, or, you know, are exposed to it, you were kind of left with that notion that it cannot be that bad. Man, and you know what my favorite comparison was? I'm sorry, I mean, by favorite, I'm obviously being sarcastic, but when you were a kid, some guys like, it's just like, if you got kicked in the testicles. Do you guys remember that? Yes, I remember Robbie. that. <laughs> it's I like, remember I remember that, that oh argument. Wow. I wanted to bring that up, like, just now, I was thinking, I was like, I wanted to, like, do a comparison, but I wasn't sure, like, oh, my- yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> I remember yeah. in the playground, we used to debate whether like pregnancy or like giving birth was worse or getting kicked in the balls was worse. Oh my God. I remember <laughs> that too. I remember that too. Like it was some kind of competition. <laughs> Where did you guys grow up? Here. <laughs> in Texas for most of yeah. us, unfortunately. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. I was just thinking when you said, you know what my favorite, I, I totally knew that was what was coming. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God. I remember that so clearly well. Yeah. Which really just shows, you know, even for, because one of the things that pops up, right? Like Khadijah, you have my absolute favorite experience because people like really stood by you and like told you at least somewhat what was going to happen in a positive light. And we're over here comparing whether or not like, you know, periods, birth or getting kicked in the testicles is really like the top, you know, U.S. question for the ages with these young children. Yeah, when Mamadou was like, where did y'all grow up? I was wondering the same thing, even though I also literally grew up in Texas. I guess it's just and that just speaks to how like, um, the people that you're surrounded by and the knowledge that you get about it really does paint your perspective on the issue also. And that's why it's so important. And like, just going back to having kids be exposed to, I feel like that's like the prime time to really be able to have kids just grow up. Kids who will menstruate, whether they're girls or just people who will be menstruators um, and non-menstruators just to have that idea of periods like at least just a seed solidified in their mind instead of just like letting all these ideas like run rampant in their minds and then just growing up also with the taboos that circulate throughout society. It's really crazy. Yeah, and talking about that, I was really surprised when Khadija uh, told me that my uncle, uh, about how my uncle acted in terms of uh, helping, helping her grow and her siblings. I was very surprised because this shows the power of culture versus education. Like the culture that my uncle grew up in, right? Long time ago, African culture, there was definitely taboo. There's still taboo. But the fact that he did not live in that culture, he he got so many other cultures and he got more knowledge, right? About things he was able to instill. He was able to take that knowledge and really uh, let the things that he know wasn't good to to really help uh, to, to do the right thing and uh, help bring up uh, his children. And 
that's definitely really hit me. It made me so happy when Khadija told me. I never asked that to Khadija, right? Because me and Khadija is like my sister. We grew up in the same place. So we never had that conversation until we started WRI. But just when I realized that my uncle did that, I was like, wow, that's really, that's really, it really motivated me, inspired me. Yeah, and that's another interesting portion of it, right? Because we're taught that certain cultures are more progressive and that, you know, Western cultures are so progressive towards women's issues. And in some ways, it's not as much as some of the experiences that I've got to hear from people who grew up in a different culture than me, which is definitely lends the notion of is culture used as an excuse rather than individual responsibility or willingness to learn. So it's definitely... I think in some ways, like culture is used as a way to perpetuate stereotypes about like the global South. Like, you know, I think that we've seen doing this work (laughs) that the stigma isn't that much different here than it is in some of the places where our parents grew up, like your mom in the Philippines, my parents, Henny's parents, Ian's parents in South Asia, um, and then Mamadou and Khadija's parents in Guinea, it's really, you know, the person who had the most positive experience was Khadija, you know, so it's not, it's wild that it seems to me at this point in time, after experiencing everything I've experienced, that the West often uses this type of thing to like perpetuate stereotypes about people in other countries being, you know, savage in some ways when it comes to how they deal with women's issues and periods and all that. I've always said the West, when it comes to the social issues, the West is just better at hiding them or disguising them as being better, not necessarily more progressive or more advanced in terms of actually tackling them. And actually in a lot of those issues, they're terrible and embarrassing, honestly. Yeah, I mean, they're just better at marketing um, most of the difference is economic and they want to tout or the West often touts the economic divide as, uh, as what, you know, is the difference in terms of social, uh, issues as well. Um, but yeah. Definitely. And so for, you know, all of you here like sharing your experiences where you've learned, Sort of, where are you now, I guess, in the role in the lives of men, of menstruators that you, you know, have in your life when it comes to periods? Uh, my friend borrowed my underwear one time. I mean, because she needed some. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Someone actually, and then, yeah, someone also showed me, like, the tampon, like, it, like, pushes out. That was crazy. That was, like, three weeks ago. I did not realize that was a thing. <laughs> Still learning a lot. (laughs) I think I definitely listen more. Um, Like, I don't want to share any stories that maybe I'm not, like, privy to uh, share. But, uh, you know, I've definitely uh, been more comfortable talking about or having the conversation. Uh, And I feel like because of my comfort with the topic, people are more comfortable bringing up issues with me uh, as well. Um, especially when I tell them like, this is kind of the work we've been doing at WRI. I think it allows people to open up that, you know, I'm not thinking of it as, you know, kind of an issue that might be disgusting or something I don't want to hear about or something that, you know, I'm ignorant of. Um, So I think WRI has been a transformative personal experience for me in that way. And by listening to those conversations, I've, I've definitely learned a lot. Yeah, I've definitely grown over the years in terms of being more comfortable in talking about it, uh, especially when we started doing our work in the communities back in Guinea. Because I remember the first uh, conversation I had with my mom, uh, she, she ended it right away. It wasn't comfortable. But the from the beginning, uh, I connected it to stories uh, growing up. I, I realized that my siblings, uh, even though they had everything they needed in, the, in, in everything they needed growing up, 
uh, but they still experience period poverty because of the stigmatization, not because they could not afford pie, but because of the stigmatization, they didn't know anything about it. And that hurt me, right? Because uh, I really feel the responsibility of taking care of my siblings and uh, just not knowing that they were going through that and realizing that they had that kind of impact growing up, it really motivated me uh, to dig more and you understand things, be a little bit more curious. Now, I definitely have a long way to go in terms of uh, understanding and when the point that Mera has made earlier, empathizing, being in people's shoes who experience is something that I will never reach. Uh, but now I find myself really imagining uh, as a future uh, person having my own kid and I'm sure I'm hope I'm sure my daughter gonna be a smart person and she's gonna realize uh, the issues that's happening around the world and I'm sure she's gonna be smart enough to ask me what did I do about career poverty uh, about that so I want to make sure that Whatever that answer is, is something that I'm proud of, and I've done everything I can to 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 give to give my all in terms of finding, uh, helping, uh, empowering people to find solutions to the issue. Yeah, what I really like about kind of y'all's, I guess, variety of answers is there is like obviously a wide variety of what you can do, both physically, whether it would be loaning your underwear or having like trash cans available in bathrooms. I hear that's somewhat uncommon in men's bathrooms, but anyway, like just having a more accessible environment as well as also just being able to have a conversation. I feel like in a lot of places when it comes to something as biggest period poverty, it feels somewhat daunting, especially in a case where you may not have firsthand experience, but short of like taking that first step, whatever it might be, is the direction forward. So it's great to hear all the different ways that y'all have been there for people in your lives. Yeah, honestly, maybe we should, <laughs> I feel like y'all are also y'all are also open about talking about this, but maybe we should have this conversation with some men who are not open about it and see what their reactions are, because that well, might I be. I can <laughs> definitely bring in my dad. For that. Oh, honestly. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> bring their dads. Everybody Why do you have to do this to him? Episode seven, <laughs> WRI, dad's take on. <laughs> oh yeah. God, let's do that. That's, That's what we're trying idea. to do, right? Yeah, we're trying to make more people who are un are uncomfortable with this more comfortable with it. So maybe that's something we'll explore. Who knows? <laughs> there was no like roadblock talking about this with y'all. I feel like, and you know, it it feels like maybe there should have been more of a roadblock. <laughs> well, we've also been working on this for like over a year. Yeah, um, true. So if, if I had qualms of talking about periods I, I probably would have done that a couple months ago at least yeah yeah it's yeah. also like a generational gap thing I mean I feel like as we've seen culture shift more towards an open conversation in certain areas that you know I mean it, it paves the way for um you know future menstruators to have supportive you know father figures in their lives so that's super exciting to hear about I think important thing too, though, is for us to like not pat ourselves on the back just because we, you know, are okay with talking about periods or like know know more about periods than maybe like an average person does. I think what goes back to our kind of conversation that we have to actually be active advocates and we have to be conscious fully. And I think you know yeah. that's something I'm still thinking about is like how can I be more conscious of it because you know, even working on this project, I sometimes still forget that the women in my life uh, might be menstruating or might be going through some other biological uh, hormone changes that, you know, I have no idea about and can never fully understand. Right. Yeah, definitely. You know, I will not be clapping for you guys <laughs> <laughs> for doing the bare minimum. So yeah. definitely yeah. think you guys should bring your parents. <laughs> yeah you know when Amanda brought up like a, a generational thing I feel like there still needs to be work done in like the younger generation I I don't know like the younger like even my younger cousins are not like well 
acquainted with the whole, uh, you know, knowledge about like menstruation and, and as, you know, as much as I would have thought or wanted it, wanted them to be, you know? Yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I think we're learning um, as, you know, as people in general, that just because progress has been made is that there's not necessarily progress left to do. Um, there's a lot of talk about I've done the work. Well, it's there's still work to be done and there's still a lot of progress forward. And so I think as long as we keep moving in that direction, obviously, I think we just need to be, I guess, more aware as people of how maybe how far we've come, but also how much further we have to go. Yeah, like um, just being an adult in this you know, world, I guess, even in, in, in just in the U.S., I feel like having men who are understanding of menstruation is definitely rare. <laughs> it's not common, you know what I mean? Um, so definitely, and it, it's not just like with non-menstruators, the work needs to be done. I feel like even in women, you know, women um, sometimes play the role of, you know, propagating stigma, so. I mean, my, my fear has always been that, uh, you know, we're taking sometimes one step back or one step forward and maybe two steps back sometimes whenever we do make progress. Uh, and maybe the reason for that is there is this still the stigma. So oftentimes the power, the powers that be will try to cut support systems. I mean, we're seeing a lot of that in Texas policy right now. Um, you know, so I think the advocates, uh, especially men, um, our voices need to be louder than those who are antagonizing progress. And it's interesting that you said that the younger generation is not as is still not that. And I'm sure you're right cuz when I think of my brother who's 17, he's also definitely not super comfortable talking about stuff like this. But from what I've seen, I feel like a lot of my friends know that I am interested in the menstruation space. So they've sent me a lot of like TikToks and stuff about from young young people who are very open talking about their experiences talking about like you know conditions that they've been diagnosed with because they've been open with their doctors about it and things like that so I think there's some hope for you know maybe not our immediate younger siblings generation who's like late high school but people who are even younger than that seem to be a lot more open about things because Maybe the pandemic exacerbated it too, because I feel like a lot of people kind of turned into oversharers on social media during the pandemic. But um, that's not necessarily a bad thing, as we've seen. You know, it's helped a lot of people discover things about their own bodies that they would have never thought about because they've heard somebody else talk about it on social media. So, yeah. So, we just have one more question, and it's hopefully <laughs> y'all will think of something to ask, but. Do y'all have any, any, any burning questions about periods that you want to ask us? I have like a million questions. Oh, Robbie, you want to go? <laughs> it's like how bad like period cramps are. I bet they're, they're really awful. Yeah, that's a, definitely a question that varies for people and a question that can vary over time too. Like my cramps were never that bad when I was younger, but they got worse growing up. And sometimes they're worse as a result of stress. Like during a period of time when I'm more stressed, I'll have worse cramps or even a longer period or something like that. Um, And it's like in, like whenever you think of cramps, I feel like you think of it in your stomach and it's not necessarily exactly in your stomach. It's like a little bit lower than your stomach. And if you think about that, it makes sense because that's where your cervix is. So, yeah. Absolutely. My cramps are honestly the worst. I have to take out at least like a day and a half, whether that be a weekend or a weekday, just to know that I'm going to be nauseous. I'm going to just be uncomfortable existing, you know, like in any position ever. And so I just have to push through like a day and a half every single month. And like, it's, it's confusing because, right, like, you know how Miraz was talking about, you nobody's ever told me like, what is normal in like experiencing, you know, menstruation. And so um, I've always had the difficulty, like trying to explain um, my gynecologist, like what's going on. And, you know, they're, you know, when, when they prescribe, 
you know, medication, sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it's not. And then, you know, just a process of trying to get it, you know, right, you know, the mixture of like, in combination of like remedies. I agree with Miraz, it's definitely like, dependent on per people to people and ages. Yeah. Another thing that can play a factor is, you know, a period is a cycle. So when you go through the various days, for me personally, day two is typically the worst for me. Um, it can really vary kind of like where you are in your cycle, um, how heavy you're bleeding. Uh, I would say for me, like pain radiates. I would say it's more of like an aching personally, but other people have different experiences. I can also get it in like my lower thighs and lower back. Um, so it, it can really be quite painful. Sometimes it can be sort of like contraction esque, um, or it can lead. One of the reasons that you hear a lot about nausea or stomach upset is if you think about like how close that organ is like trying to shred itself near um, all your digestive tract. It can really, the other effects part of it too, that are hard to say whether or not they're cramps or like what portion of it is that your digestive system can be also wrecked habit with as well. Definitely echoing everything Amanda said. The lower back too, I forgot about that. That's where yeah. I get a lot of my pain as well. Yeah, your bowel movements are completely destroyed sometimes, like when you have bad periods. Or you get like super terrible bloating or something of that variety. Yes, yes. And like your your chest, like your body is sensitive, you know, for the first two days, especially when like there's like major contraction happening in your lower abdomen. Um, like it just like my my skin is sensitive to touch even when I touch myself. Yeah, I would say that for most people, it's hard to like, you know, it, it's hard to make an analogy, I guess, for somebody that's never experienced it. I'd probably say it's like, you know, when you're at the doctor and it's like something's wrong with you, but you, they ask you to like rate your pain on a scale of like one to 10 and you have no idea what those numbers mean. It's kind of like that. Like you're well enough to like read the number scale, I would say normally, but it's, it, it can be really difficult and pretty personal to say like what that even means. And it's hard to rate your pain super high because you're like, well, you know, I know I can handle it because I've been through it every month for <laughs> a while now. It still hurts. So yeah. Are there medications that like I guess, help with like cramping or like medications that are designed, I mean, aside from yeah. like Advil. That's, a, <laughs> that's another point of, you know, anger for me as well, because I feel like there's a lot of medications that are branded as like for periods specifically when it's really just still the same thing as Advil. Advil helps too, because it's a, it's a blood thinner. So that can help you have like a lighter period as well. And Tylenol helps as well, just because it's like a painkiller. But sometimes those medications are like branded as Pamperin or Midol, which I'm sure have like a few other ingredients as well. But the pink tax really makes things like that a little bit less accessible for people. And um, yeah, people don't realize that those medications are kind of the same thing as like Advil or acetaminophen with maybe like caffeine thrown in there or something like that so yeah yeah I'd Pain. say my like one of the things that I go to I personally like topical and I can't ever say this word correctly like analgesics is that how you say it anyway um but basically um those topical things that you can put on your butt like the icy hots the tiger balms the capsin powder patch mm. I personally like those um sometimes in conjunction yeah anything that will create that warming and slash or cooling sensation. Um, it can help alleviate pain. If you think of like a muscle contracting, um, you're really looking to like relax it in any way possible. So that's why hydration is really important. So um, having those seems to work really well with me. I also like them because you can use them in conjunction with things like an Advil if that ain't doing the trick. You can add on another layer to it without worrying about like overdosage or kind of like keeping track of what you're taking. Also, I was going to ask Khadija, was it you that said you don't really get cramps? Yeah. So 
I've recently started getting cramps and Miraz, when you were talking about how it really is something that hap- it varies throughout the lifetime. So I've gotten my, per- I got my period when I was 13, never had a cramp at all. It was a painless process for me. But this year actually like, or not this year, 2020, like beginning of 2020, I started getting cramps and like every month they get worse. So I really don't know where I'm going no. with it. Going with this like three years from now, how painful they're going to be. But they've been getting really painful and like, I just don't know. I, I needed to stop and just start going back down, <laughs> but I can't have it keep getting worse. Cause yeah, I feel that. I think it ha- that's what happened to me. And I did not pay too much attention when it was like, you know, tolerable. And then it just started getting worse and worse. And, you know, I think yeah, definitely monitor because y'all might need to get, go to that checked out soon. Yeah, absolutely. Like now <laughs> it's gotten to the point where I'm just like bugging my gynecologist to be like, do something about it. But you know what, Amanda's point about the icy hots, never thought about that. I'm going to try that next time. A hot tip. Yeah, I was also, I don't know, maybe this is a universal, okay, it's not a universal experience, but in this small, very unrepresentative sample size, I also didn't get period cramps until I was like 16. And so it, yeah, it just hits you like a train. I mean, the plus side is all the period jokes become very funny all of a sudden, but like on the other half of it is you are somewhat unprepared Um, because each person has their own there, there are people that I've also heard recommended, for example, like my stepmom will take iron because she also has like, if you lose a ton of blood, there are some people that consider like a woman on a very heavy period cycle to almost be anemic. So sometimes taking a supplement like iron, even though it has, it's, you have to be very careful with any heavy metal that you're putting into your body is just necessary to like function. So I know people who take like multivitamins or like even prenatal vitamins to kind of like help their system along all this to say women go through a lot when they're on their period and there definitely needs to be a space created in you know everything we do in our daily lives for us to experience it you know because I find myself sometimes like how do I work while being on my period like I only have two sick days you know, like, how can I take, you know, one, you know, like, two sick days for every single month of the year? Yeah. And the one thing I will say about like, icy hot, or like, what, I don't know, there are other names for it. But when I use it is you smell like a, like, tub of vapor rub when you walk by Mm -hmm. people. That is also something to be taken into consideration. The Bengay. Wait, I think the only person that didn't ask a question was Mama Dudio. No, I was actually just uh, thinking what uh, Henny was just saying about uh, the two sick days. I think that's definitely a, a strong point that can be used. Uh, I th- Because in Europe, Europe, uh, I think people have at least a month of vacation. And here we start two weeks, right? So, and I know uh, people have been fighting for that. But specifically to women, right, I think the the point of giving women more, uh, women and people that menstruate uh, more sick days because of that is definitely valid. And uh, I know it's gonna take a lot of effort to move that kind of mountain in the society that we are in. But I think it's a valid point that if someone is courageous enough can pursue. Yeah. But I don't have a question at the moment. Yeah. I think flexibility when it comes to even taking days at home would be helpful. I mean, there are days when you try to put on your pair of pants and it's like sausage encasing status and cutting off that flow of like blood and constriction just makes everything more awful. And they're like, you can't wear sweatpants to the office. So some like mercy. Hopefully, hopefully the new work from home kind of culture or maybe hybrid culture might like yeah have uh you know unforeseen benefits uh, with respect to that but that's a really good point never i even thought of that till just now yeah honestly like i'll even sometimes be a totally different size in pants whenever i'm on my period <laughs> like uh-huh. it just feels like the pants that normally fit me when i'm not on my period 
it's like waistband size, right? So whenever you're bloated, sometimes that's a size up. So it's very unfortunate. Yeah, I can usually tell when my period's about to start because I suddenly think I gained five pounds like overnight. I like wake up in the morning super bloated and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> something happened. I like it's way too much salt or something than the day before because it can be very dramatic. Well, if y'all have any more questions, we want to thank you guys so much for joining us today and chatting about your experiences as men, both in this organization and as people and advocates of people who go through menstruation. And thank you listeners uh, out there for joining us for this episode of Code Red, the podcast of the Women's Relief Initiative. Our organization aims to bring menstrual aid to under-resourced communities, starting with Guinea, West Africa. To donate to our cause, you can find us on GoFundMe. You can also get involved by following us on Facebook and Instagram at Women's Relief Initiative. We're at our website at womensrelief.net. We'll see you next time and thanks for listening. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to see the dad's episode.